0: You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. And let's check it out. Uh, tonight, I'm going to start talking about idols. Um, idolatry always led to major Dramatic negative changes in people's lives communities' lives nations' lives all throughout the Bible all throughout history idolatry has sealed sealed the fate in, in sealed the fate in such negative destructive ways of whole people groups whole nations and so it's really important that we understand what idolatry is and what idols are and I looked up the definition of an idol. It's an image or representation of a God used as an object of worship. It's also a false God, a pretender, an imposter. That's what an idol is. It's an imposter. It's someone that is saying they're a God who is not. And we know there is only one God. And Only one God. He said faith is that you believe that he is God. What does that mean? That he's God and God alone. There are no other gods. There's only one God and one creator. Um, and uh, so uh, anything else is an imposter. Anything else is fake and false. And Satan, throughout all human history, has tried to get people to worship something other than God. You know, most people believe that Satan was the was the worship leader in heaven or was on the worship team, was one of the worshipers, and that uh, he had a beautiful voice, and he got so... Uh, uh, prideful that he thought he was equal to God, wanted to be God. So the first temptation he offers Eve, he said, you will be like the most high God. So one of the, one of the idols that we're gonna talk about, hopefully tonight we'll get to it, is the idol of self-worship. Um, and the reason that that's so important is because that's become the cultural idol of today. The societal idol is self-worship self. Worship self. And so selfishness has grown, and we know that God is never taken by surprise by changes. I've been taken by surprise by some changes. I'll tell you one surprise that, uh, change that I've seen that took me by surprise. I never in my wildest dreams thought elephant bell bottoms would come back. <laughs> For some of the younger people in the room, what? you're saying, what do you mean come back? Well, that's not a new style. We we wore those in the late 60s and 70s, and I, after they were gone, I thought they that will never ever. It's back, it's back in full force, right? The only thing I haven't seen come back from that era is puff sleeves. I'm like, man, I like puff sleeves. Where are those at? I don't know if I'd wear them. Just like I don't know if I'd wear uh, uh, bell bottoms either. I, I won't say I won't do it. I won't say never. Because that one time I did do it. You know, it's so funny how we see cultural change. With, with My dad's generation, they all had short hair. Of course, my dad was military too. But th- you couldn't tell the difference between someone in the military and someone not in the military. Because all men had, had their hair short, you know. And then in my generation, we all wanted long hair. The exact opposite of, of, of uh, the people before us. We all wanted long hair. And then when my boys grew up, they all wanted short hair. You know, and now long hair's back. You know, these, these things are going to change, and these kind of cultural changes, no big deal, right? Clothing uh, styles are going to change. All God tells us about clothing is just make sure you're wearing some kind of modest clothing, that you're, you know, you're not enticing someone to sin. Or you know, He said, you know, wear some modest stuff. You know, look, look modest. He, he didn't say anything about not dressing in style. Jesus obviously dressed in style. They gambled for his clothes. Seriously, they would not have gambled for that material if that material had no value. Why would they be, you know, gambling? So they'd have just said, you take it. No, they all, wanted to, they all wanted in on it, and they gambled for his clothing. I like what uh, one of our forefathers said, Thomas Jefferson. He said, when it comes to principles, always stick to your principles. Don't change. But when it comes to style, always be in style. That's what, Tom, that's what he said. And so you know styles are going to change, hairstyles change. Gosh, I, you know nowadays, man, I I, I've, I used to notice these things, especially in women, like, oh, your hair, I, because it would change you know every like year or two years. Now I can't keep track. I mean I can't keep track of all the different hair colors and styles, and I mean it's just it's just now they got my daughter's wearing like, you know, two like. Prince Leia things on the side of her head and look like a puppy dog. I mean, I, it's just the style. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Does anybody have that on tonight? anybody have their hair like that? No, I'll say <laughs> Linya does. But you know, the, you know, you've seen it, man. There's all these, all these crazy hairstyles, and and I watch uh, these younger guys playing sports. Man, they look like they hadn't combed their hair in a month. You know, but it's just, it's young people. It's cultural change that, and it's okay. Music styles have changed, you know. Uh, I grew up, my parents were looking, listening to Frank Sinatra, and those that kind of music in our house. Uh, my dad listened listen to some country, but mostly that kind of style of music. And then, you know, rock and roll came along, and you know, and in churches, all we had was, all we had was organs, and if you didn't have an organ or a piano, you were in sin. You know, now we got guitars and drums and everything else. And and a lot of people don't think anything of it. But I'm telling you, a few years ago, that was a big issue. How long your hair was, what instruments you played. Now everybody, you know, all the Baptists used to attack us all the time. Now they're all doing it. Welcome to 2022, Baptists. But anyway, and they, they, they made that move a while back, but, you know, it was the, the charismatics, it was the, it was the evangelicals, it was the non-denominational churches like ours that set some of those trends. And, you know, when I went to church, you put on your best clothes, and, you know, I had Sunday clothes. Anybody have Sunday clothes? You had Sunday clothes, you know, and you put those on. And, you know, now, you know, things have changed. It's a lot more casual. Quite frankly, you know, I, I, when I graduated from college, I wore a suit and tie all the time in business. And then I had to wear a suit and tie on Sunday. And, man, I have never, ever liked suit and ties. I wear them when I have to. I've never liked. I always felt like it was a noose. Now, my brother Steve, he'd wear a suit and tie in second grade. We didn't look like brothers. We'd walk in, I'd had, I had dirt all over me and holes in my jeans, and he was all primmed and proper and had a suit on. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, dude? Loosen <laughs> up. We had two totally different styles. Uh, but, you know, you know, we don't wear suit and ties as much. Some people still do, and it's okay, and some people don't, and that's okay. Amen? Those are cultural changes that aren't bad. Well, we've also had some major cultural changes that are. Matter of fact, we've had so much cultural change in America that uh, we're living in what they call a post-Christian America where Christianity is not the dominant force in our culture anymore. Um, we, we've lost that. You, and some people don't know it, and it's not, you don't know it because you're, you're not uh, smart or intelligent. You don't know it because you didn't live through it. You didn't live through it. You didn't live in the day I lived in where they had the Ten Commandments in almost every classroom. Teacher had a Bible on their desk. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You could They'd quote scripture. We prayed before every assembly. We prayed before every sporting event. There wasn't a city council meeting or any kind of meeting, any government meeting. There wasn't any kind of celebration that someone didn't pray. I grew up on a military base. Every celebration, every change of command, the pastor, the the chaplain was there and prayed in the name of Jesus. I mean, we we had a Christian culture. Not everybody was a Christian, but they respected Christianity and they respected the church. You know, I'm not saying this for any bad reason, but... You know, even when I was in the world, I never messed with churches, and I never messed with Christian girls. Even though I I didn't I wasn't a Christian, I had, I had some respect for Christianity and I had respect for the the church. You just didn't mess with the church. You know, we had our catalytic converters cut out of our vans a couple of weeks ago. Someone pulled in between them and laid underneath there and cut them right out. You know, we've we've. We've had our gas tanks punctured. We did, I mean, guys, we got a, a laundering list of how many uh, police reports we filed. Back when I grew up, the worst criminals I knew, and I knew some bad dudes that spent time, a lot of time in prison, I knew some bad dudes. They never messed with the church. What, so what was the deal? Christianity was, was, the, was the dominant part of culture. And even unbelievers had a respect for Christians and, had a, and for Christianity and for the church. That has all shifted. Matter of fact, it's turned to 180. Now the church is attacked and Christians are attacked for their beliefs. And I mean, it's, it's a totally different culture than what we've had before. And before you think, oh, woe is me, this has happened before. Let me say it again this is what this has happened before that's why when i talk about leadership whether it's in the political realm the corporate realm the church at home wherever leadership is that's why that is leadership is so deeply spiritual because when the leaders start to worship culture and start to self worship and do those things that's what causes everything else to go And it's happened all throughout history. We're going to read it here in just a moment where it happened to the nation of Israel. It happened to them multiple times. That their leaders, spiritual and otherwise, would start worshiping culture and start worshiping self. And then that led to all kinds of other idol worship. That led to my truth. You think that's new? You think someone's saying my truth is new? The Bible says at one time in the nation of Israel they had no leadership. They had no king and no leaders. So everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. That was several thousand years ago. None of this is new. I said none of this is new and none of this is taking God by surprise. He said in the last days people would become lovers of self. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. So that god's not surprised he prophesied it and what we're about to read he prophesied too he prophesied all of this he's never surprised by it only we're surprised and we shouldn't be because god already said it was coming so what do we do when we're not the home team i grew up christians were on the home team they had home field advantage everywhere they went Companies loved God. Companies had people uh, that would pray over their corporate meetings. I mean, people would talk about Christianity openly in corporations. Now it's not the case. We were the home team. We had the home uh, field advantage. Now we do not have the home field advantage. What do we do? Well, God tells us what to do. Because in the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the four children of Israel, they had a time where they they weren't on the home team they didn't have home field advantage and that people worshiped idols they worshiped culture and self and they had to navigate those waters god has not left us without information he wants to teach us how to navigate the waters of the current culture that you and i are living in right now doesn't mean that christianity might not might make a comeback I don't know, but I do know what we're living in right now and what we need to do right now. And so God wants to speak on this subject right straight from his word, right straight from his word. If we can, let's go to Daniel chapter one, verse one. And as we're turning there, I want to say this, you know, God's a generational God. Let me say this again. God's a generational God, and he expects the older generation to teach the younger generation how to, how to uh, know him, serve him, and, and acknowledge him in, their, in every aspect of their life, and to follow his ways. That's the expectation. Well, Satan knows God's generational, so Satan also is generational. He copies everything God does. So he's like, okay, I'm going to be generational too. Multiple times in the nation of Israel. This is how important leadership is. This is how important serving God is at a young age and teaching our children to serve God at a young age. Three times I can think up off the top of my head, this is one of them, that teenagers, that the whole nation of Israel, and not just that, but the lineage of the lineage and the carrying on of God's word to where we are today rested on the shoulders of teenagers. King David was a teenager when he faced Goliath. The whole nation rested on a teenage Why Saul said, man, and he, was, he wasn't big. Some say he was 17. I think he was a lot younger because he couldn't even fit in Saul's armor. He wasn't a big, honking, you know, bad-looking dude that said, I'll take that, John. They're like, yeah, this kid, look at this kid. He's Man, he's all ripped up. He looks like, you know, uh, he looks like uh, Samson. Man, this guy's, woo. come on. No, he's a little bitty guy, little bitty young teenager, and they're all looking at him like, this is going to be ugly. We're going to be serving the Philistines here in a minute. Even Saul said, can't let you go out there then when he finally convinces him he puts his armor on him and David's clank clank he can't even wear it he's like I can't even move in this stuff man it's way too big for me I can't I can't fight in your armor so he takes it off of him cuz it looks so goofy and he can't move another time the whole nation of Israel's is rested on a teenager's Joseph Joseph's a teenager when he's sold into slavery David was on the winning side. He got to kill Goliath and everything good happened. Joseph was on the losing side. He got sold into slavery and then put in prison. God was with David in the victory, just like he was with Moses when he faced Egypt, but he was also with Joseph when he was on the losing team and he didn't have home-field advantage. Now he's with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, teenagers, And now the whole nation, just like it rested on Joseph, if Joseph doesn't do what's right, the whole nation rested on what Joseph was going to do. The whole nation rested on what David was going to do. We can't allow our teenagers. We've gotten culturally where we baby our kids to such a level that we don't have expectations of them to do something. Some of that is that legally we've made it impossible for young kids to work. And Man, I... I had jobs anytime I wanted a job. I was 10 years old, the guys would drive down our street and say, "Hey, you guys want to you know load some hay?" And we'd jump in a farmer's truck that my parents did not know, and they'd haul us out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Sometimes I think my parents are like, "Man, I hope he just keeps them." <laughs> you know, they, they need, just keep, just take them. But it'd take two or three of us to throw a bale in there. And at the end of a whole day of throwing bales of hay on top of a back of a truck, I mean, all day from morning till late at night, we'd come out. And he'd go, okay, boys, time to get paid. Five bucks. And, man, we were like, five dollars. I got some folding money. Now I'm a man. Seriously, that was true. Some of you wouldn't even drive out there for five bucks. I don't blame you. It was hard work. Now I'm thinking, that's sorry, dude. He should have paid us better. But the, the, we, we've got to have a higher expectation. Why? Because this culture is placing tons of pressure on our teenagers and on us it's placing that pressure of culture on us and it's it's working us through entertainment social media movies tv news man stuff that we were we'd be ashamed to watch on tv 10 20 years ago it's like no big deal r rated movies some of them I'll start to watch a movie, I have to shut it off. It's like an X-rated movie back when I grew up. Satan will make something funny and make you laugh at it, even though it's filthy, and he'll get you so used to laughing at it, he'll get you used to it, and then before too long, it's just acceptable. We have to understand we're being culturalized. We're being idolized by this culture. We need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of it for our young people. You never know, the fate of our nation could rest upon a 16, 17-year-old right now. It's definitely going to rest upon what this younger generation decides to do in the next 10 years. Satan knows it. God knows it. We need to know it. We need to have a higher expectation of the maturity, growth, work ethic. Attitude of our teenagers. Whole fate of a nation is resting on four teenage boys. This is what happened to him. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third reign of Jer- Jerichoam, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Next verse. And the Lord gave Jerichoam, Jerichoam, king of Judah, into his hand. Why did the Lord give the king of Israel, king of Judah, into the hand of an unbeliever? Because the king and all the leadership were worshiping idols. And guess what? Men, women, children were slaughtered in the streets of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel because of it. Idol worship leads to the destruction of families, communities, In nations, and in this case, the whole nation. He says, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. He even carried away the church's stuff, the temple stuff, God's stuff. God allowed it. You know why? Because the children of Israel weren't using it anyway. It was nothing to them. They carried it into the land of Shinar, the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Next verse. Then the king instructed Esphanaz, the master of his uh, eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Next verse. Young men. Young men. Teenage, teenage boys. Teenage men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Jeremiah prophesied this was coming. You can stay at that verse. Uh, he prophesied this was coming, and he said, there'll be a choice group of the nation of Israel that will not be slaughtered in the streets. But we'll go to Babylon. And that they'll serve in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. So, this was already prophesied that they're going to take the best, finest, best looking, smartest people from Israel. Next verse. I'm sorry, go back to that. We need to read the rest of that. Go back to, can you go back? Thank you. Uh, who had ability to serve, everybody say serve, in the king's palace. Go to work for the king. Go to work for the king. And you have to understand, back in these days, if, if I had a god and you had a god and we beat you, automatically everybody believed that my god was stronger than your god. And that's how people think now. Well, Christians are losing. The church is declining. This is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening, and we're on the losing end of it, and so they're band, they, they want to jump on a different bandwagon. Why? Because they, they think the God of this world is winning. I just want to tell you something. Every time Satan thinks he's winning, he's losing. As a result of, of God allowing nebuchadnezzar and babylon to do this when babylon is destroyed it has never been rebuilt again saddam hussein was trying to rebuild babylon he said everybody tries to rebuild babylon will be cursed and will be destroyed there are some spiritual implications of america going after him he thought he was a reincarnated nebuchadnezzar he got the curse he got the results you mess with God's kids, even if he gives you permission, Woo! look out. Now, because some people think this, the Babylonian God won, they jump on that bandwagon. It, let, let, me, let me say something about that. You know, when the, like I said, when the leaders don't serve God and, and the nation falls, doesn't mean that our God has failed. The people have failed. But they, they point fingers at God. We're not always going to be in perfect situation. We're not in a perfect situation now. We're going to we're actually serving in the house of the unbelievers. Most of us work for corporations, companies, government, whatever that do not believe in God. Do not honor God. Their own most of us, not all of us, do not want to know God. Matter of fact, don't like God. In It's easy to say, well, they look like they're winning. I'm going to get on their team. Guys, they're never winning. They're always losing. God will give. Listen to this closely. God will give. He will give even evil people their day in the sun. Listen to me. When the children of Israel were going to the promised land, there were seven seven nations in the promised land. You know what they've been doing all these years? Building houses, plowing fields, growing crops, producing cattle. And God gave them that moment. And they could have turned to him anytime they wanted to and been spared. But they didn't. So when the children of Israel came, all they were doing was preparing it for them. Let me, let me say it again. All they were doing was preparing it for them. Sometimes, and God even told them when they moved into the land, He said, "I'm going to give this to you little by little because if you can't take it, you're not—you don't have enough people. You don't have—you can't take it over. You won't be able to maintain it. It'll—it'll turn—it'll turn bad on you. Matter of fact, He said, if I—if I wipe the people out in front of you, that the—the uh, the wilderness and everything will take back over the land because you can't occupy it. Sometimes He allows people a day in the sun to maintain." Stuff that he's waiting to give you. What does he say in Psalms 37 1 and 2? He says, This. He says, Don't be troubled when you see evildoers prosper. We need to stop being troubled. We can be, we can be, have a righteous anger. We can have, we can want to stand up and fight back. That's all okay. But we don't need to be so troubled that we stop pursuing God. We don't need to be so troubled that we get discouraged or so disappointed that we give up or we turn back or we can't allow it to trouble us like that because this is what he said about them. He said, they're like grass. They're like grass. We all know that stuff grows around here. You have to water the heck out of it and it grows. But when winter comes, man, you know it's all gonna do what? die. We also know when you cut grass clippings they're still green after a few days what are they going to do? Completely die. There'll be no life left in them. God said that's how evil people are. They they have a time and and, and he also says this in 2nd Peter. He said, "I'm not I'm not slack. I'm not lazy." He's having to defend himself against the Christian church. He said, "I'm not lazy. Listen, I'm patient." I don't want anybody to not know me. I don't want anybody to go to hell. So, understand that when you see someone that is above you, your boss, someone above you, the government officials, and they're they're doing evil, understand God has a plan, he has a purpose, and he's also very patient trying to give them a chance to come to know him so they can go to heaven too. So, we don't need to be troubled. We don't we need to be patient. We need to trust God that he knows what he is doing okay so these guys are not on the winning team so what is what does he do the first thing he does this is so crazy how this applies to us culturally the first thing he does is he relocates them he relocates them this is this is going to come into play here in just a moment as we keep reading listen to this Young men whom, and he talks about all this, he said, in whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So, what is he going to teach them? Their culture. Their culture. What is their culture? Self-worship. What is their culture? Anything goes but the real God. Because all these other idols will let you do whatever you want to do. Whenever you want to do it, do whoever you want to do it to. But God has a standard. I said, God has a standard. It's above all this. And it's, it's, his standard is above, and he has this standard for a reason, because he wants people to live in freedom, not in slavery. This leads to slavery. And then he, he wants the people who are living in freedom to help other people who are living in slavery get out of slavery. That's why he has a standard. He doesn't want us to hurt each other. He wants us to help each other. This sin causes us to hurt each other, Salvation and serving the Most High God will propel us to help each other. So he says he says he's going to teach them, and he's going to teach them their culture. Next verse, verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and, and three years of training for them. So catch this. He's going to relocate them and take them to a school. A school that teaches you how to worship idols. Man, I I would say the majority of our colleges have become that. Our children are being relocated at these schools and they're being trained for at least three years. Sometimes more, to do what? To learn the culture of the world. The culture of the world which is self-worship. Idol worship. This is not new. What's happening now is not new, it's the same. It's the exact same thing. We're in the smack dab in the middle of living in a Babylonian type culture that is the dominant culture now. It's the dominant culture. And they have to respond. Why does he wanna give them uh, his, his food and his wine? Well, there's several reasons. His food and wine are dedicated to idols. And his food, the meat they did, they never drained the blood. You know what Daniel knows? He knows that God said, don't eat food given to idols. But he said, don't eat blood. So he's going to try to get the, the God out of them, the Christianity out of them, and place this idol worship of self and everything in them. That's exactly what's happening today. Our kids go to college, our kids go to school, middle school, high school, and they're, they're, they're processing the God out of them and trying to put the culture of this world in them. This has happened before. It's not new to Satan. And who does he go after? Young people. All the people he captured, not just from Jerusalem, but from around the world, he picked the same type of kids. He picked their children, these teenagers and said, if I can get to the teenagers, I can change everything. Same thing. And three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Go to work for the king. Next verse. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Next verse. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel, Beltazar, uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. That's how we know them. We know them by them names. So there's a whole story in this. You gotta, the, the, God, Satan likes to control the narrative of what words mean. He likes to change the meanings of words and the meanings of things. I used to say when I was a kid, hey, man, I'm going to put on my thongs and go out here in the backyard. Hey, man, let's run, to this, let's run down the street. Let me put my thongs on. That has a whole new meaning right now. You'd be like, I don't know if you need more than one of those, but thongs? You can put two thongs on? I don't know how you wear two. But that used to mean, uh, what do they call them now? Slides. They call them slides. They've gone from flip-flop, to, from thongs to flip-flops to chalk, choc, chalk, choc, choc, Chocolates. Uh, yeah, I mean, they got a lot of names, but I used to, when someone would say, hey, uh, I'm, let's go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get some slides, I would think they were buying like a slide at a, if you told me that as a kid, I'm like, you're gonna go buy a couple of slides? What are you gonna do with those slides? You gonna put them in your backyard? Because I'm thinking slide, like you slide down something. You see how the meaning of names changes? And Satan likes to change meanings. Someday we'll look at what their names meant before and what these names meant, because there's meaning in that. But Satan has to change the names and control the narrative of everything in order to take the God out of someone and and put idol worship in them. So they worship the culture, worship society, And worship self. Next verse. I like this. But Daniel purposed in his heart mm, that he would not defile himself. What do we do when we find ourselves in a worldly environment at work, at school, wherever, we find ourselves in a worldly environment at home, we're going to have to make some decisions. Daniel didn't say he wouldn't learn what they learned. He he didn't say, I won't learn your history. I won't learn your language. I'm going to go to work here. But there's some lines I'm going to draw. I remember my mama was the only Christian in our household, and there were certain lines she would draw and say, nope. Certain lines she would draw. And that was it. She lived with a bunch of heathens. Ate with a bunch of heathens, hung out with a bunch of heathens, but there were some lines she drew. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. See, what also came along with that, not only did that defile God's word, but what also came around was when they'd all get together and drink and eat all the other debauchery, all the other sexual sin, all the other greed and malice, and I'm sure they were all jockeying for position. I mean, all the rumors, everything took place in this. Culture, culture. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Where did he go? He went to the chief, he he did everything in order. This was the guy over him, so that's who he went to. He didn't try to bypass this guy to get to somebody else. Don't do that at work. Well, I'm not going to ask this person because they don't like me or this or that or another thing. And I'm going to bypass them trying to get to the boss. Or I'm going to bypass this or bypass that. I'm going to bypass her because I want to talk to her because she, she's a friend of mine. Or No, 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 no. This is how we conduct ourselves in Babylon. This is how we conduct ourselves when we're living but well, we don't have home-filled advantage like Daniel is. You do everything that's asked of you. And when they ask you something that will defile you, that's when you take a stand. But he didn't just go and say, I'm not doing it. He went to, the, he went to his boss and he requested. What did he do? He said, therefore he requested. He made a request. He did it in a polite manner. He did it in a proper manner. Hey, I, I, don't, I don't want to do this. Can I do something else? Go. We'll get to it. Get to where we're going. Now God has brought Daniel into, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. When did we still, when did we hear about favor and goodwill that God had given Daniel favor and goodwill when he drew the line? Some of us are waiting for God to do something when God's really waiting for us to do something. He's waiting for us. I want you to remember this statement cuz we'll talk about it the next couple of Wednesdays. He's waiting for us to draw the line. We're like, "God move, God move." And God's like, "I'll move when you draw the line." When he drew the line, favor and goodwill go next. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then he would endanger my head. Then you would endanger my head before the king. Next verse. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Next verse. Please test your servants for ten days. Now Listen. Not only did he request it, and then when he, re- when he said no, he said, man, I'm going to put my head on the platter because you guys won't look as good as everybody else. He, Daniel used the wisdom of God and said, hey, just, just put us to a test for 10 days. The number 10 represents the day, uh, number of testing. He said, give, give us a test for 10 days. Daniel knew the number 10 meant that. That's why he chose 10. That wasn't arbitrary. He knew his God. He said, test us for 10 days. Please test your servants and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. You know how you ever come off meat and everything and just ate a vegetarian diet for a while and water? And man, you you start looking healthier pretty quickly. Next verse. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. He's like, I'll submit. Test us for 10 days. I'll submit to whatever you decide at the end of that testing. Next verse. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. Next verse. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better. How'd they appear? And fatter in flesh than all the young men who had ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Next verse. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. He's like, my goodness, these guys, they set the tone. They look the best. I'm, now I'm going to make everybody eat vegetables. And all the meat eaters said, gone, Daniel. Next verse. And as for these, four young men, these teenagers. God gave them. God gave them. God gave them. God gave them. After they drew the line, God gave them favor. After they drew the line, God gave them goodwill. After they drew the line, God gave them wisdom. After they drew the line. God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Sometimes we're waiting on a supernatural uh, move of God and God's waiting for us to draw the line and say, okay, we're living in Babylon. We get it. What do we do? How do we operate? We do our job. We do our job that we're asked to do. Wherever we work, we do our job with excellence and we trust God's wisdom, his ability to navigate the waters. But if they ask us to defile ourselves and worship this culture, we draw the line. We draw the line. And when we draw the line, God will move. Let me, let me say it again. When we draw the line, God will move. Everybody say this with me. One, On three, draw the line. One, two, three. When we draw the line, that's when we'll see God move. We're going to look at two more examples in the book of Daniel where they drew the line. It all didn't turn out this good. It wasn't this easy. It wasn't this easy. But it still turns out that God comes through. Remember, culture tries to force us to worship idols. Tries to force us to worship what they worship. Self, all these things. We need to draw the line. Because that will do what? Defile you. It will defile you. Your family, your children, your church, your job. It will everybody will pay the price. If you defile yourself, draw the line. Take a stand. Be excellent at what you do. I said, be excellent at what you do. He didn't say, he didn't tell Daniel not to work for him. He's working. He's working for the king. We're gonna find out he works, he he makes this king extremely successful. God didn't say any of that was a sin, but we'll see where they have to draw the line again and again and what God does. Listen, every eye closed here and, you know, we just do it here uh, to remove distractions. If you need to do that online, do that too. And I, I say this every time we film a service that, man, I don't This doesn't matter whether you're watching on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, whenever. This prayer and this this call from God to, to reach you is valid. He knew you'd be watching tonight. He knew you'd be here tonight. He knew that people would watch on Thursday and Saturday. He knows. And he's reaching out to you. It's so easy to give into this culture. It's so subtle, and it's worked us so long. I've noticed that, man, I watch things I'd have never watched before, and God's just been checking my heart over a period of years like, turn that off, shut that down, don't watch that, don't finish that series, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, he's starting to check me. You know why? Because it's subtle, and it's creeped in on us. And you could be worshiping this idol of culture and self, and you don't—you might not even know it. But God wants to open your eyes. For some in this room, you already know you've been—you've been doing whatever you want to do. It's—it's it's been all about you. You, 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 you. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. And you're here or you're watching because you know where that ends. Same place it ended for me. Same place it ended for all the other people in this room. It's self-worship, self-idolization always ends in trouble. It always ends troubling you and troubling those around you. If you're here right now or watching right now or watching later, consider this. If you've never prayed and said, God, I'm going to lay down my idols. I'm only going to worship you. I'm going to lay down all the imposters in my life, and I'm only going to worship you. When you draw that line, God will move. If you've never prayed that, let's pray it now. You're watching for a reason. You're looking for something. You're 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 not looking for me. You're looking for God. You're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're looking for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and change your very nature on the inside of you and set you free. So if you've never prayed, let's pray right now. Or maybe you've prayed and, man, this, this it's been subtle. And all the movies, the stuff you do on social media, the video games you play, all the stuff is pulling you further and further. The, the Man, they have all this this uh, uh, Japanation stuff on there and all these things. And, man, all the women are a certain way. All the men are a certain way. I mean, guys, it's so inlusting to so many of you and so many of us. Man, we got to put a stop to it. When I say we, I don't watch that. Somewhere along the line, you got to draw the line because it's defiling you, and some of you know it. And it has defiled you. It's led you to watch this and do this and think this. Listen, there's a way back. We're doing the 21 days of hope. There's, a, there's hope for you, hope for us, hope for me, hope for all of us. His name is Jesus, and he will save your life. He died to forgive you of your sins, set you free from the rule and control of this culture, of these idols, of sin, and give you heaven instead of hell forever. That's why Jesus came. That's why God sent him, because he loves you in me. So whether it's your first time or your next time in this room, I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first one is I'm going to ask you to, to, to acknowledge that you need to get right with God by raising your hand. Online, I'm gonna ask you to acknowledge that by typing that in and sending us a message saying, I'm praying for the first time or I'm praying for the next time. And then we're all gonna pray, right? Where we're seated in here and wherever you're at online. So here we go. Online, go ahead and send that in in this room. One, two, three, you wanna get right with God. Raise your hand right now. Say it's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're gonna lay down. Uh, you, some of you know you have idols, Some of you know where you're being controlled by this culture, what it thinks, what it does. Anybody else to say, I recognize I need to lay down some idols. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Pray online. Pray right here. Say this. Say, God, today I lay down my idols. And I I say from my heart, out of my mouth, you are God and God alone. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins on a cross because you love us. You love me. I believe you raised him from the dead. And he's alive. And because I believe that, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me for all my idol worship, all my sins I've committed against you that have hurt me and hurt others. And I receive your forgiveness right now. In Jesus, freely, I say, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life, and I receive the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me right now, and I thank you by your word and by your spirit, you teach me how to really live, worshiping you and you alone, serving you and you alone, walking in your blessings, in giving them away. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. Come on, let's thank God for how good he is. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.